Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. Well, Juicy said you had a good January. Yeah, it's been good. Christmas was great. I guess we've talked since like New Year's, and yeah, because we talked after SLS. But mm-hmm. how was life your summer? Is good. <laughs> just kidding. Good. Yes, good. Yeah, I mean, it's just kind of. Uh, I mean, you all have well, Bisker from Illinois. Messi lived there for long enough. It's like January and February can kind of drag, you know, because it's cold yeah. and gray. And you just want it to be spring, and now Christmas is over, and um, so I always try to kind of gear up for February, which can be rough. But mm. you know, I've been here a year and a half now. And I was just—I was telling you before we started, um, like Edwardsville, St. Boniface. I—I I loved it from day one, but like it this is home base now that's that's how i describe it it's like oh no this feels like this feels like home which is pretty which is pretty cool it's a good thing and i think it always takes like a year or two any in any new place like that is just i mean it happened the few moves i've ever done like whether it been to college or um like the focus days were maybe a little bit of anomaly because it was only a couple couple years and kind of in and out with training and stuff like that but but mundelein did that i mean your third year at Mundelein is like radically different than your first, and I think that's just natural human tendency. Mm-hmm. A priest once told me the third year is always the best year of an assignment. Hmm. Um, the first year you're kind of getting the feel of it. Second year you're like building, and then the third year you you really hit your stride, and then the fourth year is just garbage. <laughs> you're just all kidding. washed up by then. Yeah, yeah. exactly. You got any more stories. They've heard they've heard all your homilies. Yep. You have nothing new to say. Yeah. <laughs> Resentment <laughs> starts piling up. <laughs> nice. Nice. Hey, that's so cool to hear, Rob. That is cool. When did you it's realize good. that? I think after I guess Christmas. what did that realization look like? Um I think after Christmas, I mean because Advent's kind of a whirlwind. There's like penance. It's just busy, you know, and not in a bad way. And then Christmas was great. Um, but I had the, I celebrated the 415 mass here, which is the big family mass and preached at it. And um, I really appreciated having the pastor, um, like he took the, the later, the later mass. And it, it was kind of like a rite of passage, dude, because there was a lot of people in the church and like it was it kind of felt like you know that first month like right after you're ordained and like you just kind of get done saying mass like hoping it was valid because you don't really remember anything mm-hmm. and you're just nervous <laughs> about like what to do it kind of felt like that i don't know again. what to do with my hands what, what, <laughs> yeah. what do i do with my hands <laughs> and uh but it kind of felt like that again because there was like so much going on and so many people there and um but it was great, and I don't know. I don't know if that was it, or if it was like getting back for the new year, and had a little bit like Newman was on break, so had a little bit of a break um, myself there, just like schedule wise, you know, freed up a couple of days during the week and for a few weeks and everything. So was able to just do a little bit of catch up and everything, and all of a sudden, I certainly don't attend that I know what I'm doing in any way. 
Mm. Um, but it's like, it's kind of that pace. Like when you have a, both a gr- like grade school, high school and like a college campus, the, your life is drastically different and feels drastically different when school is in session. So it was kind of offered this like little bit of a reset, I think oh. with everybody coming back. But it was like, this was the first time feeling like, hey, I hope this is Holy Spirit led and I don't know what I'm doing. But at the same time, like, no, I have I have like a an idea of like what this is going to look like and feel like and how I need to pace myself and like how I need to pace myself to not be exhausted or whatever. And uh, yeah, you just as you get to know people, you enjoy them and everything. So um, I think I think that was maybe if there was like a catalyst to the feeling. It was that little reset, maybe. And I was like, wow, this yeah. is a good this is a good spot to be in. Man, that's awesome, dude. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And so I didn't really articulate that before, but that's that's a gift of God. Like just that little bit of like I don't know, whatever you call it, little bit of downtime to it like makes you realize that like, man, God is good and like he's actually working and um good things are happening and it's just a good good place to be. Yeah. Yeah, and what a blessing it is to have, you know, in a lot of ways, like, the place where you work is now home, mm-hmm, so that, mm-hmm. y- yeah. I've thought about that. I have, um, I've also, yeah, I, I'm just blessed to have, like, a spiritual director in the area now, which is mm-hmm. huge, um, and he's just a awesome, fun, like, really gentle-hearted uh, veteran priest, Um that's only like 20 minutes away. And so that's been really great. But I actually thought back on, so Father Gus, my last three years of seminary, Father Gus was my spiritual director. And I mean, you guys know Father Gus. There's just no like, you three know. Three dogs they, north, our juice, Seabisk. And Michael Metz and Joe Pug. <laughs> so actually everybody, uh, everybody knows. Uh, everybody knows Father, Father Gus. Gus. That's right. Um, but there's just no bells and whistles to like what he's about, you know, it's just solid. And, um, yeah, for, so one, I've been very thankful. I've thought about that of, I would just look back on that spiritual direction with him those few years and it was just solid, like, and kind of the, the opportunity to have a veteran priest as a spiritual director is awesome. But I remember Father Gus talking about that, maybe like my last semester as a deacon at Mundelein. And he was, you know, we were just talking about like trying to stay healthy and all the changes coming, like once you're a priest and everything. And he was like, I remember him saying that I wrote it down one day and he was like, no, you need to see your family. You need to get away, take your day off, all that stuff. But where you're placed has to become home. Like that has Mm -hmm. to be, he might've even used home base. Like that is where like everything revolves around. And it doesn't mean to not get away. It doesn't mean to not do any of that, but like, that's just your priority, you know? And it takes some time to get there, like emotionally and everything. And I was like, that's just, that's sage advice right there. Hmm. I've never heard that, but that's, that's really good advice. It's, it, yeah, it's, out, it's outstanding advice, I would say. Both, it kind of hit me then, but then the experience of it, it just provides like a lot of very simple but concrete freedom of yeah i mean there's things that you have to say no to in the schedule um like in order to get away or like take an evening off or whatever and you have to and you're gonna like i've certainly made mistakes with that there's been a couple of things i've thought back on and like man 
gosh, I should have been at this thing or that, you know, or, or whatever. Um, but you just simply like, yeah, you put, you put your emphasis, your priority on the place where God has, has put you, where the bishop has assigned you and you allow everything else to kind of like revolve around it. So this is, this is home now. And then like everything else will kind of fit into place. Yeah. I was at a meeting yesterday with all these uh, priests who I went through new pastor training with three years ago when I was, Mm -hmm. I took the reins at the parish and um, we were talking all about, you know, almost everybody's going through some version of uh, the renew my church thing in Chicago, which is um, discerning what to do about having all these parishes that we're not going to be able to staff in a few years. Um, to combine them or to close certain ones or, or whatever. And there's a lot of talk of, well, people need to understand there are members of the universal church, which, um, usually when we hear that, that means the archdiocese, not the global, whatever Roman Catholic church, but that you're part of this, the local church is the diocese and your parish is, a um, you know, manifestation of that. But, just trying to get people to be less attached to their parish structure or parish building and to, you know, to respond to the needs of what, what the diocese actually, because these parishes were built when the city looked a lot different and stuff like that. But, um, somebody was saying something to that effect and, and another priest said something that, uh, articulated something that I'd been kind of thinking and feeling. And when I, we had to go through this pastor application process when I was, um, when I was doing it and they asked like, what is your, what's your definition of a parish or something like that? Like, you know, give 500 words on what a parish is. And, um, I think it's like, and this is what the, this guy was basically saying that you, your experience of the universal church, uh, which is the body of Christ. So your experience of Christ is local. It's like these people, uh, this building, that that priest or those priests that say mass for you and um it's where you learn the faith it's where i mean the, the domestic church even before that uh from your parents and and learning your prayers and things like that praying grace before meals and who god is and stuff like that but you can't just skip it reminds me of i think it's a aquinas or maybe aristotle that the the order of knowledge is is the opposite of the order of being that even though God, like the universal things are the the prior um, philosophical realities, like, um, you know, to use a dumb example, like chairness is more universal than this particular chair. But in order mm-hmm. to understand chairness, I have to see particular chairs, you know, right. because of the, the way we're wired um, or where we stand in the ladder of being. Like, I can't get straight to God. I can't start with God. I have to start with the, with the small individual manifestations of it. Um, so the same thing with the church and what you, I I guess what I, that made me think of this, what you just said about making where you work your home. Um, although that can be, I lived in a rectory that was above the store, uh, so to speak, um, which was not always great. Uh, it did give you, a little bit of cabin fever, like, ugh, I'm in this, I'm never not here, <laughs> you know, 
Yeah, um, no, I, I wouldn't like that at all. Yeah. But uh, there is something of like when I was in Blue Island, you don't just feel like, okay, I work in this building and then that's it. Like I'd go out and get a hot dog and people would see me and whether I was wearing clerics or not, like a few years in, go get your hair cut, um, go to the grocery and you just run into people and you're like, you're part of their lives and they're part of your life. And that's how, that's how the church works. That's like how people have an experience of the quote universal church is by seeing what it looks like in a local community. Um, and especially now where local communities, at least in Chicago are kind of, uh, in many places, um, disappearing or just changing radically, uh, the way people relate and in culture, like you just hit a button on your phone and things come in cardboard boxes. You don't, you don't run into people as much in the normal social ways. Uh, it's even more important to have, uh, like an actual community that mediates God's presence, uh, through the community. So like I went and saw Scott out in Nebraska, uh, last week or two weeks ago and we didn't go out much. We just hung out in his rectory and, uh, talked about this book we read and watched movies and made food and stuff like that. But we did go out, um, once or twice and once to this restaurant, he's from the, he's got parishes in these two really small towns in Western Nebraska. We go to this restaurant and like, it's totally typical, uh, everybody coming up to the table. Oh, father Scott, how you doing? Oh, these are your priest friends and blah, blah, blah. Like everybody knows him. He's only been there for six months. Sure. Um, but I don't know. There's something really cool about that and also sacramental and real uh, that it's necessary. That we're not just free agents. And that was something Cardinal George always said. You're you're ordained for a local church. You're not just ordained a, a priest for yourself or for like some abstract uh, universal church, but for particular people. That that's who you were. You didn't know it on the day you were ordained, but this is why. Because of this person in the confessional or these people at church today, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, I, sacramental was the word I was thinking I'm there, which, I mean, it makes sense of, I, I, God saves us through stuff in so many ways, like his own, his own life and presence, but it's mediated through stuff. Like, even if you look at sacramentals, like holy water, or, I mean, even like the Eucharist, you know, it, it starts with ordinary things. Um, that he breathes divine life into um, and changes. But, and so I, I mean, like you can translate that to, yeah, then the, I, I guess it'd be a subjective experience in, in some ways, but it'd be like certainly a real experience for the person of like, no, a place or a building um, or whatever it is. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, it's not everything, but like that is how the presence of God is like, is is taught and mediated for a lot of people um which is pretty cool yeah and this is what i'm saying is that when we i guess we've got to be careful when we get too down on the parish or the buildings because we we certainly hear a lot about this in these reorgs it's like it's not about the building the church is the people and right uh, this is kind of what a little bit what separates us from the protestants is that it also is the building um right it's the bricks like you don't yeah. understand what the church that the church is living stones until you see stones that mediate God, you know. Right. Um you can't go straight to the to the reality without starting with the image. What's um, 
even that story of like I love that um yeah I mean of like you guys having dinner out in Nebraska and meeting Scott's parishioners that's pretty I just know you guys so that's pretty awesome you know to think about but um like something I've thought about and this is pretty abstract um but just the whole the whole thing of like you hear stories that I think are always really cool to hear but the whole notion of like when people don't have anywhere else to go they they go to the church you know in and like I feel like in different places those are easier to articulate like I remember when we were down at that parish in Peru like that priest had started a in a do you remember that Mike like he had pretty oh, yeah. much like started a hospital and a law clinic is there because or like a <laughs> yeah. law office that guy is crazy dude he, he's crazy but like legitimately the people like didn't have access to that unless the church did it you know yeah like hospitals would send people to the church right certain medicines and which is really cool but like also not the world that like we live in here and i've just pondered that question of i mean that was that was kind of like the dr esalen thing that i was telling you guys about of like the church has to is now responsible for like building culture because we're kind of at the end of the line in a Mm -hmm. way so how do you do it? Like, I mean, I think in some in some ways it looks like, like, yeah, going to dinner and people knowing you or like saying, you know, when you're not in clerics, like people recognizing you and say, saying, hey, and um, there, but there's something to that of like a presence in like a positive and I, I mean, certainly like clear on church teaching and all of that, um, you know, not budging on that, but like just a positive and like. I, I guess joyful for lack of a better word presence in in like a tangible community as as well and not just community as like random group but i'm talking about like township of you know blue island or edwardsville or rome or whatever it's like no this is a presence here and people like drive by and see it and know it from that Does that make any sense totally yeah. baron had that about uh when sears tower changed to willis tower which is an insurance company um, he said that the, I think the three tallest buildings in Chicago are named after insurance company, the Hancock, the Willis, and now I am ashamed to say, I don't know the third tallest building in Chicago, but, um, he compared that to, uh, medieval cities and how that the tallest, most central building, the thing that you would like would be the equivalent of the medieval skyline was always the church, right. um, was the center of, of civic life of of cultural life. Um, but we don't, we don't have that, um, where a community is built around. And it, now in, in Chicago, it used to be that way in neighborhoods where you drive by that. Oh, that's, that's our parish. Um, that's how you'd know, you'd know where you were from. And the church was a, a visible, um, sign of that, that this is what unites the people of this neighborhood. Now it was the Catholics in the neighborhood, but effectively with the immigrant neighborhoods, it was, you know, if it was a Catholic neighborhood, yeah, the parish was the thing. Um, but yeah, there's just less that ties us together, which is why I think it is important to, to build things. Um, you know, just even just like doing slight improvements to the Newman center, uh, the first summer I got here and then building this coffee shop this last year, uh, it just sort of tells people like, hey, 
this is a place i mean the, the important thing about this place is the people and what's happening in in their lives and in their hearts and stuff and the connections that we make person to person heart to heart but you got to have a place to do that and it, it's got to be a place that's beautiful um so that stuff is uh important and also with the priesthood to um to just be like well i wasn't i wasn't ordained to sign checks and balance budgets and you know it'd be like a dad saying i i didn't become a father so i could you know change water heaters and like you got to do that to have a home for your kids um so it's not fun but uh you know that's why you have like miniature golf and stuff and ping pong it's like that's what's fun batting cages (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah you know what i mean dude How's your life going, Mike? It's great, man. I'm I'm enjoying um listening. Honestly, it's like that that's essentially what I wrote my thesis on was the necessity of physical buildings uh that reveal a deeper truth that you can't just think of. It's like an inhuman concept where we think we can just um yeah, experience experience the deeper reality of things without actually uh, making them real on the day to day, you know, like the church is made of living stones, but we're going to, you know, build a church that looks like a Walmart. Like that's not, that doesn't correspond there. Like you Mm want to have an experience of a church made of living stones and looking like the mystical body of Christ. That's beautiful. And a revelation of Jesus and his love and the order and symmetry and radiance of God like you can do that. You can actually make that real right now. And that will instruct and, people as to what it would look like if they were like that. Yeah. You know what and I mean? What the, and what this local community would look like mm-hmm. if if we allow God's grace to like reorder us and recreate us together as a mystical body. And that's why when you come into a physical church, like oftentimes it's the cruciform. So it, it actually forms us into the love of Christ. And you're like, holy cow, <laughs> cool. Okay, we're actually doing the thing that we're talking about. And it becomes ingrained in our bones. I mean, that's where you have like the deep Catholic culture. Uh, but it starts, you, we have to have a place to go. Um, I, I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast, but um, I remember for a while, you know, we with my family we we had a a decent sized house but i mean we obviously we had to make space work with all the the kids at home and whenever i started leaving um you know people proposed different ideas so that we could utilize all the extra space as people were leaving in the house and i didn't get it at the time you know i i made all these really weird seminarian propositions like let's put a chapel in the house and everyone was like no mike don't do that (laughs) (laughs) we're not no i'm like dude i need a place to pray when i go home they're like no okay yeah that's that was a good idea to not do that but mom was really adamant about keeping space available and and then all of a sudden like my older brothers are getting married and they're starting to have children. And now we actually need more space for when we have these big gatherings. But what she was doing the whole time was making sure that there was a physical place where her whole family could come back together. And 
and we needed that you know if like if we didn't have enough room practically that like it just wouldn't be possible and she she knew this like mom instinct like no this is <laughs> this is my nest okay you don't you don't get what i'm doing here i'm creating a home that's inviting for folks for the whole family to want to come back home and the house itself has been the locus of like you know the most important relationships in my life um and i i didn't understand what she was doing i you know i thought she was being you know kind of unreasonable like mom nobody's using this she's like no you don't get it we i need this like we all need Hmm. to to make sure that this space is available so that we have a place to come back and to eat together and to you know watch tv together and waste time together and all that it's like a really simple basic concept people need a place to go that's you know it's kind of just presumed right um yeah. You know what it reminds me of is um, something we were talking about when I was in Nebraska. Nick uh, Blaha, was, he was a focused missionary um, back when I was in college. And he was reflecting on the fact that he didn't have a cell phone when he... Uh, this was wow. the, not the uh, beginning of cell phones, but not everybody had one. Uh, and he was, you know, trying to be ascetic and saying like, oh, I don't need this and I'm going to try to live without it. Um and he realized later on, like, this just became a pain for other people. I was not as reachable as I could have been. And um, it just, it was like an ascetic exercise that I was trying to uh, impose on myself, but it was actually something I was imposing on everybody else. Um, and he was talking about how one of the insights he's had as a priest is like, typically when he was or especially when he's at his his Newman Center was like as a father part of why you create reserves like your your mom like having this reserve space like the, the, one of the reasons you store things up it's not it's not an evil to just have extra stuff you know like we think of the parable of the guy saying oh look my my silos are filled with grain now i can eat drink and be merry um we don't we don't want to like store up things or make idle of riches. And that's certainly easy to do um, is to like, yeah, not, not uh, trust enough and, and store up too much um, because there, it never will be enough. But as a father, like you, you reserve things to create abundance for your children. Um, and he is a guy that really does that. Um, like he did this spring break trip every year with his, college students to big bend uh national park down in texas a backpacking trip and camping with blaha is awesome because he always he always has the best stuff and like he anticipates needs um like here i have this really expensive uh arctic cooler that keeps all the all the food cold like if you don't have that you're like oh we're gonna go you know simple camping and um everybody's miserable and at each other's throats because there's nothing there's nothing to eat you know but as the father like you created an experience where there it was there was an asceticism to it i mean you're already backpacking you're camping you're out in wilderness but it's not just like um you know it's it's kind of analogous to the the whole church thing of well well the church is living stone so we we need to be less uh less fixated on the on the the inanimate stones you know or 
why do we need the stained glass when when we have the word we don't need the stained glass to like show us the bible stories we should listen more to the the readings and stuff like that well yeah but imagination and and the way that human understanding works and stuff and the way that our our imaginations are formed over time it's not just discursive knowledge you know it's not just we're brains in a bubble that uh are knocking against each other like that all of this stuff is part of of being human and i will also add this yesterday after mass um i was talking to these two girls who are just really solid they're, they're upperclassmen and um just live in the live in the spiritual life and uh on fire and this one girl we were talking about stuff and i think it was part of the i had brought up that i was at meetings all day at the archdiocese and talking about parishes and structures and stuff and she just goes um you know i think we need to build like a a spiritual culture and she this is not like a um she's not coming from any agenda or any any this is just a, a girl who like in her parish uh she actually knows father tom Bohar, actually she's from his parish um has just had an experience of christ and it's changed her life and now she prays and goes to mass and and wants to learn more and helps out at her parish and stuff she goes we're we're christians she's like we should when we're together we should be able to feel the holy spirit (laughs) i was like man that is such a simple way of putting it but like when you get together with all the priests of your diocese or, or or when you get when you sit in a church with a with a normal parish community on sunday morning do you feel the holy spirit now that's a i'm not saying in a sentimental or motive way but like there are places you go churches that you can go to uh communities that you can can be with and you're just like these people are christians because you can feel it you know what i mean um and that's not something that you can manufacture just by building a beautiful building but it certainly manifests itself in invisible ways in tangible ways you know what i mean yeah i was very convicted by that we need to build a spiritual culture because otherwise like if the church is just a a meeting place where like oh this is the aesthetic that I like, this is the kind of music I like at mass, or if it just becomes a, a, a movement of do-gooders who are like trying to be, be good people and do charitable things or change, change culture to be more ethical. Um, we're never going to do that. But if the Holy spirit is, is, uh, feelable in a place that will change cities, you know, um, that's, that's, that's what good, I think. Man. Have, uh, it made me think of this will be a little bit of a pivot, but um, have I, I when we talked about restored order on here, did I talk about um, do you guys remember if I talked about Archbishop Aquila's letter on the restored order of the sacraments at all? Maybe, but I don't remember. OK, well, yeah. And but I, I was just rereading some of it the other day for another thing I was uh, going to present on. But um, he has this I just found this fascinating, but he calls like. You know, and so much of like the the formation that we have um, right now, he calls like what be, is being taught totally well intentioned. Like, I mean, he's not he's not like heavily critical at all, but he calls it moral therapeutic deism. Have you guys mm-hmm. ever heard that before? That's yeah, the Christian Smith thing. You know? Him? Okay. Uh, no. Uh-uh. He's a he? sociologist at uh, Notre Dame who did a bunch of studies of of young people and their religious views, and he found that we're not an atheist culture. It's people believe in a moralistic therapeutic deist God. Wow. Yeah. It's okay. So that's where he must've got, and maybe he even like put that 
in there. Like his insight that I found so interesting was it was just like a deduction and maybe it's from Christian Smith. That's so it's just totally from human experience of like the real problem with that. Like when you don't talk about salvation and redemption in a place or like actually teach that, which that I think that's where I, I, this like popped into my head of like a spiritual culture or whatever that kind of is, or that feeling of both like the, the need for and the experience of, of salvation um, is that moral therapeutic deism where in a sense it's be a good person, you know, like that's, that's kind of the driving force behind everything. But Archbishop Aquila's insight, which I found so interesting was that like, well, what happens when like somebody turns 21 or, you know, like they're in that kind of age range, typically not always, but they mess up like most people do in some way. Like they screw up, they make some mistakes, like whatever it is. And he said, all of a sudden they feel like they're not a good person. Like, and maybe it's subconscious and deep down in different ways, but they kind of like just sense that or like let that creep in because they've made mistakes or they've made bad choices or they've done things that good people don't do, which honestly is most people, um, at least in their thoughts and in certain moments. And so if your whole faith is based on, like, it's all about being a good person, then what crumbles first is that, like, when you don't believe you're a good person deep down, even though you don't articulate it, is that, like, your faith just kind of floats away because it's not helping you with anything. And I was like, man, that's probably the best synopsis of, it doesn't explain everything, but when we talk about numbers of, like, 80% of college students that start Catholic don't end up practicing the faith by the time they're done. It's like, that's, that's it, man. Like I, I just never heard an explanation like that. Mm. Um, or maybe like a, a more, a deeper appeal just based off of human experience for something like, I think what you're talking about in a spiritual culture there. Mm. Sorry for, sorry for the the shift, but did that make sense? What I was trying to draw? I agree. What's that? Go ahead. Um, it makes me think of something that Father uh, Father Brett Brannon I was able to to spend a little time with recently. Um, <clears throat> went down and visited him in Savannah, and just got to stay with him. And um, he, Father Brett, is just an he's just such a good priest, dude. It is so good. It. And he's full of deep spiritual insights, but he's such a practical guy as well. Um, it was cool to be with him in his parish and to kind of see how he runs things and to stay in his rectory a little bit and see how he just kind of lives his day to day. But I'd come in and chat with him and he gave me, um, I guess, a little pointer on how he how he starts his holy hours. Um, and he, he starts it with the three with the three minute. I can't remember. It's like the three minute power hour or something like that. So it's like you do these three minutes and it sets you up for a good holy hour. And it's triune um, and very, very simple. But you spend a minute adoring the Father and then you thank Him for like one specific thing in your life. Then you spend a minute adoring the Son, like worshiping Him. And then you ask for His forgiveness for one thing. 
And then you spend a minute adoring the Holy Spirit and worshiping the Holy Spirit. And you make a resolution. And he said, whenever he starts his holy hours that way, and I can confirm this since doing it, since since leaving him, that it just does something to like orient his heart in the right way in prayer so that the, the rest of his holy hour is just dynamite. It's excellent um, in whatever way that that means. Um, and since I've started doing it, I've realized that it takes me about five tries to actually start to do the three minute power hour or whatever because because I'm constantly thinking about like well how am I feeling or what about this or what's going on and it's it's very to be honest like me centered around my feelings about if I'm doing a good job or not and like I think that's that's how I've come in to pray uh, and then I just do like a self-diagnosis kind of a thing instead of actually coming before the God, like the blessed Trinity and adoring him and worshiping him and being loved by him and, and trying to grow in love with him. Um, it's just really, really, really practical three minute power hour, but it, it calls to mind that like, this isn't a self-help hour. <laughs> That's, yeah. This I'm not coming in here to try and think away my problems or like self-diagnose the maladies of my heart or whatever but no i'm coming to worship god i'm coming to worship god and to be loved by god right but now. that's like the only authentic self-help that's the paradox of it like people's self, selfless self-preservation like the only way to save your life is to lose it uh yeah and the only way to really benefit from prayer is to stop trying to benefit so much from prayer and actually just right. adore god um which is really that's really what surrender is that's that's actual abandonment like oh, i'm just going to come before you and worship you and then what happens will happen um yeah i i, I have kind of a, a soapbox that i've recently discovered with the whole <laughs> abandonment um or like oh lord whatever whatever you want of me you know like we'll come in i don't know if you've ever prayed that before but like i give you anything or i'll, I'll accept whatever you want um, and I was listening to a Father Tim Gallagher talk on this, um, with some of the discernment of spirit stuff. And he said, oftentimes when people say that, when they come before the Lord and they say that, what they're actually saying is, God, I want to accept this cross or like the worst possible situation that I can imagine. This is what I'm, this is what I'm abandoning myself to. And Father Gallagher's like, no, that's not what you abandoned yourself to. Say, I abandon myself to the love of God. Not the worst possible thing that I can imagine, but I'm abandoning myself to like to the blessed Trinity, to a God who is total love. Um, and then whatever follows from there, maybe it is the cross, whatever. But oftentimes what people have in their heads is like, God, I'll die for you. And he's like, I don't want that. Just can you just accept me like right here in front of you? Um, yeah, which is a, was a helpful little distinction that's good, man. there for me, but that's a side tangent. So box deal there. Yeah. So just orienting well, I'm, I have a, properly before God has been massively, massively helpful. I have a little, uh, tangent as well. That's it's classic three dogs North. Cause I don't, really understand it but um yes the 
the book we read um me scott tom and nick for a little like a uh, remote book club it was called liturgy and personality by dietrich von hildebrand i think I, I brought it up a couple times maybe in previous apps but he talks about um this idea of the classical man um i think i brought it up when we were talking about the normal human being versus the average human being um and his whole, his whole thing is like the, the the normal human being the natural human being uh that's not conditioned by sin is responsive to values according to like how valuable they are so you put god first because he's the highest value and then other things and so that's the ordered soul um but the average person is disordered and uh puts last things first and um you know watches youtube instead of praise and stuff like that um and he talks about one of the one of the other distinctions he's makes is the classical person versus the unclassical person and i think what we came to the conclusion of is that classical means something like universalizable like in any age in any place this is the human experience um and it's not conditioned by some artifact of culture that's that's disorder because you, it's not just the soul that can be disorder but the our cultures and our societies and uh ways of interacting um can be inhuman and make us less human and um I was thinking about that uh, in regards to, I go to the jail and talking to the guys at the jail last week, um, you know, most of those guys are, uh, well, a lot of it's gang banging. Like they just, you know, from a young age got involved in a bad group of dudes and um, yeah, ended up, ended up where they're at and they're sorry. Um, at least the ones that want to come talk to me and they're reading the Bible and like, it's, it's actually very inspiring. I'll walk in there into these pods and there's like six dudes sitting around a stainless steel table, all with open Bibles that you can tell somebody brought them and they're all different translations from all the different ministers that come into the jail. And they're just like, like starving, uh, people eating food. You know, they're just like this stuff. I want to know what is, what does God say? What does this mean? Father? Um, and just anybody who's around, like whether they're Catholic or not, like, okay, you're a spiritual person. What is, you know, how do I, <laughs> how do I get God? And it, it just seems like so classical in the sense that the, they are sinners. They're aware of their sin. They're aware that God is the high good and that if they conform their lives to him, that, that will save their lives. Like that will give them salvation and whatever happens with their, their trial and stuff like that. But there was this one guy, and God bless him, he's a great guy, but it didn't fit the mold. He was older, he was probably in his late sixties, not a gangbanger. And uh he was he was sitting there talking and um he said something like, uh, oh yeah, I don't know how it came up, but he's like, When are they gonna change that rule and let priests get married and stuff like that? And I was like, I have I'd never noticed this before, but no one in jail has ever said anything like that to me <laughs> where they're like, you know what, you know, what needs to change is the church. <laughs> it's always the other way around. The guys are always like, I need to change and, and God's going to help me. And I pray every day and, um, just aware of their own faults. And, and it turns out that this guy is actually from my hometown and went to the same high school as me. And, uh, obviously he's from a totally different generation, but, I was like, yeah, that's the that's the the culture that I grew up in. It was, uh, in a lot of ways, a moralistic therapeutic deism. And it's, I'm not saying it's his fault, and I'm not judging him, but I'm just saying that that that's an unclassical sin, is to say like, to approach God or the church in that way. And I'm not also saying that everybody just needs to 
get with the program and pray, pay and obey. But um, to come to God with that, like you're saying, Mike, I'm going to go pray because it's like meditation or mindfulness exercise or, or something like this is this is my way of self-care. All that language. Um, it's it's our hangups. It's our, our own ego thing of like individualism when in fact what will really save us and make us human is to just abandon ourselves to God's love. Um, anyway, yeah. that was my little t- tangent. I know you got to go, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. And there's there, something still? about, yeah, can you hear me? Yeah. Whoa. Are we really that delayed? Can you hear me? Yeah, yes. I can hear you. Okay, okay. Um, there was something about just being with Father Brett where uh, <laughs> he just has this like really simple but radical confidence in the victory of Christ and the reality of Jesus um, that is really like a dad who just believes, like, this is who I am, this is what I believe, and this is where I'm going, and this is where I'm going to um, direct all of my people towards. And um, I realize that I just, I'm growing in that. Um, <clears throat> but he was a great example for it. Um, and part of my hangup, I guess, where where I felt that I, I was different than Father Brett was that um, he was totally fine in, um, I don't know what's the right way to say this, but like, forcing himself (laughs) well this isn't the right way to say it but this is how i i experienced it when i tried to do tried to think and pray like father brett it was like i was forcing myself to believe in the reality of jesus and then i realized oh i don't always actually believe that jesus is victorious like i don't live like that's actually true i kind of consider these other options or like, well, what if you look at it this way or that way? And and he'd be like, no, 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 you don't get it. Like, Jesus has already won. That's just a fact. And he would allow that reality to inform 100% everything, everything else. And so he was constantly, he constantly lives in the victory of Christ with like a, a sure confidence that is utterly unshakable no matter what else happens. And so he's not he's not trying to do like psychological gymnastics or sentimental like feel good stuff. Um, of course, he like considers all those things and, and all those sciences when done legitimately are important and good. But yeah, he just comes before God and says, you're God and I'm a sinner and you're victorious. And so that's that's like where I'm going to live. Um and I realize, like, I don't think I always do that. I, I want to, but, um, yeah, I, there's a, yeah, I guess I have a lot to grow in that and in, in living in the victory of, of Christ. It's something I, I would intellectually say that I believe. Um, but does my faith like really inform all of the things that I'm doing? Yeah. And Father Brett was a great example of that for me there being with him so the three minute power hour three minute power yeah it's not self-help it's Mm -hmm. just being with the lord 
Yeah. It sounds like a perfect technique to conjure God's presence. It's something I can do to make my prayer more efficient. <laughs> Thanks for that tool. Yeah. Thanks for that tool. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for being such a tool. <laughs> All right. Well, good talk, dudes. Good talk. We're back. We back. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.